Hey everyone, David Herbst here with Americans for Prosperity Montana. I'm here with Michelle Feldman, uh, the, the state campaigns director with the Innocence Project. Uh, Michelle has came all the way from New York to Montana to uh, do some to work with us on criminal justice reform issues. Uh, the Innocence Project and AFP Montana are working together on a couple bills, yep. and uh, she was going to get her expert opinion on a few things. So thanks for coming on and talking to me with me. Thanks for having me, and I'm thrilled to be in this beautiful state. This is my favorite state that I travel to in the country. It's one of my favorite places, so I'm glad to be back here. Awesome. It's good to have you. So the Innocence Project, what is it? Can you tell me about it. So we're an organization. We I work at the National Project, um, and we have local projects across the country, and what we do is we take cases where a person was innocent and wrongfully convicted and work to exonerate them. Mm. And then um, we work on reforms that prevent and address wrongful convictions because we want to put ourselves out of business and mm. we want to make sure that, you know, innocent people don't get sent to prison for crimes they did commit. Mm. So I recognize the name only from making a murderer. Right. So, and we it's talked a little bit about this before. Yeah. So, what, what, can you tell me kind of the role you played there and, you know, kind of what lessons people might be able to draw from that case? Or? Sure. I mean, so making a murderer, Stephen Avery was um, exonerated by the Innocence Project of the original crime. It was kind of a classic witness misidentification case. Mm. Um, and, you know, for whatever you think about the subsequent crime that happened, it shows how many flaws there are in the criminal justice system and mm -hmm. all the potential to get things wrong. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's a human system. People make mistakes mm -hmm. um, and we have to be ready to address those mistakes. Mm. That's, that's, that's right. So how did you get involved personally? Like, where'd you, where'd you come from? Like, how did you wind up with this job? Sure. So I was a government dork before <laughs> working here. And I worked, I loved working in, I worked for the New York state legislature and the city council. Um, and I really wanted to make this transition to the innocence project because I just read case after case in the newspaper about exonerations. And there was just this one case that really struck me of these two, um, men, they were 16 at the time, they mm. came home and found um, one of their mothers and sisters had been murdered. And instead of being treated like victims, they were treated like suspects and they went to prison. Yeah. DNA then revealed decades later that they were innocent. Um, oh so that just really compelled me to take action and get wow. involved. Wow. And that was when you're in college or after college? That was after. That okay. was a more recent, uh, last few years that case came up. We've been having mm. a lots of wrongful convictions overturned in yeah. New York in the past couple of years. So mm. it's been, I think, on a lot of people's minds. And that, is that primarily a witness thing or new witnesses or is it mostly like a hard evidence DNA Things like that. I mean, usually we, so a very small percentage of exonerations actually have DNA. A very mm. few number of cases actually, only 10% of criminal cases involve DNA. I mm. know that, you know, CSI ha has people thinking that there's, you know, a perfect uh, DNA profile that can solve everything. Yeah. And that just doesn't happen. Yeah. I mean, most crimes, you're not, it's not biological material at all. Mm. So, um, we do, we've been starting to deal with more non-DNA cases, but mm. initially we were only dealing with DNA exonerations, but mm. there's a whole other, so 80% of um, exonerations in the U.S. involved non-DNA evidence. And mm. actually that's 
one of the bills that we're working on together because it's something that we need to ensure people can get back to court if they have non-DNA evidence. Sometimes it's a real perpetrator that mm -hmm. confesses to the crime. Sometimes it's new scientific evidence that debunks, you know, old forensic evidence that was used to convict someone. Um, we were talking about bite mark evidence that used to yeah. be thought of as a real science so that you can say that somebody's the bite mark on a victim definitely comes from this one person to the exclusion mm. of all others and mm. we've seen wrongful conviction after wrongful conviction being overturned where that was the claim so mm. we want to make sure that you know when there's new developments people can get back into court mm. wow so it's it's incredible to me to see the progress of the science and being able to be an asset for the courts mm -hmm. but there's some responsibility for the courts to of course when they're wrong redress that so Absolutely. that's that's the retrial process so what yeah. is that normally and then what are we trying to change in montana to, right. to make the adjustment so in montana um basically there's a part of the law that says that if you have new non-dna evidence you can um file a motion to get back to court and the court you know either the court can grant a hearing and see if you have some merit to your case and there was from 2006 to 2015 a pretty normal standard that's you know used throughout the rest of the country you had to show just to get a hearing on your case you show i have new evidence and there's a reasonable probability i wouldn't have been convicted if i had it at my trial then in 2015 the court raised that standard and said you have to show definitive evidence that mm. you did not commit the crime just to get a hearing on the merits of the case, which is a catch 22 because it's a much, much higher standard. Yes, yeah. exactly. So it's really made it hard for, you know, wrongful convictions in Montana to even get a hearing and mm. for, you know, there even to be an assessment about what it, is this new evidence legitimate and what does it mean, mm. you know, in light of all the other evidence. Yeah. So it's just not taken. It has to be much more clear up yeah. front for the court even to hear it at all. Exactly. So I we'd mean, anticipate that in Montana, as compared to other states, it probably, we don't hear as much trials, as many retrials as we might otherwise, if we had a standard that was more reasonable. I mean, it's a different process, actually. So it's it gets a little complicated, but yeah. when we had the standard that we're trying to go back to, mm -hmm it didn't cause an increase in the number of petitions or anything like that. I think after the standard, the court said the standard changed, yeah. that really resulted in a lot more litigation and, mm. and a lot more time served unnecessarily for our clients. Like Cody Marble was exonerated of a rape that never happened. He was in a juvenile detention facility on a marijuana charge and the other inmates came up with this scheme mm. that they're gonna say that he raped another inmate, totally made up, and they were going to use that to try to get a sentence reduction in their cases. And um, they they told, you know, they, they created this whole story. Um, and years later, the case completely fell apart. The victim admitted he made that up, that it never happened. 
victims, uh, the, the witnesses started feeling guilty and, you know, admitted we made this up just to get, you know, a sentence reduction. And even the district attorney said that the charges should be dismissed because it's just there's no case anymore. Mm-hmm. But because of this confusing, convoluted law, he spent an extra three years in prison. Wow. And that cost, we estimated to cost about $85,000 to Montana taxpayers keeping, oh you know, an innocent person in yeah. prison for something he didn't do. Wow. So we need some clarity to, you know, when somebody gets that new evidence, you would think, oh, you know, we, all these victims, uh, the victim recanted and all these witnesses admitted they lied. Mm-hmm. Well, he must be out of prison the next day. And mm-hmm. instead, yeah, it took years to wow. get through, you know, the bureaucracy yeah, and, so and the bad law. So we have one bill that kind of hits on one side of that, yep. the incentivized witness bill. And then we have the other bill, exactly. which is more about the evidence. So the incentivized witnesses. So that's a great example of that. Right. Uh, you got some people who, you know, have it out for someone else. And yeah. so they collude and, you know, mutually uh, testify against that person. Yeah. And then they get their sentences commuted for doing that. And and in this case, we have somebody who was on in jail for a pretty petty victimless client marijuana. Yeah. And then the person who got the sentence commuted, Right. what were they in for? So so, um, Cody Marble, yeah, he was in for a marijuana offense. Mm -hmm. And... The first um, witness, so so-called witness to the crime that never happened, yeah, that yeah, reported it, yeah. he actually was in there on a murder charge, and wow. for some reason, makes no sense to me. Um, the the prosecutor decided that uh, that this person should be have it reduced to a misdemeanor, a homicide charge, um, and he was released from prison. But Cody Marble then spent 14 years in prison for a crime that never even happened. So there's a real, it's not just about protecting, you know, innocent defendants um, when we're talking about incentivized witnesses. There's also a real public safety angle because if, you know, if the state thinks that somebody's bad enough that they need to go behind bars, and then they're giving them a sentence reduction uh, to, you know, get them to testify to other cases. What happens to the victims in their cases? What happens to the harm done to them? It's yeah. it's not fair to them. And, you know, what happened to that original informant in Cody Marble's case? He was released and went on to die in a shootout with police. So he just kept creating, you know, more harm. Um, mm. So it's really everybody should be concerned about this mm. issue because it's there's a real threat to safety. That's right. That's right. So, And for so many people, we recognize that incentives matter, that people respond mm-hmm. to the incentives in the system they're in. And if you're in a system, you know, based on punishment and you got a way to get your punishment reduced, you're going to respond to that incentive right. and lie potentially. And then in the worst case scenario, lie. And, the, and maybe a lesser scenario, maybe just bend the truth a little bit and, mm-hmm. and mis, misrepresent what actually happened and what we're going for with justice is representation of the truth with a witness especially absolutely i mean it was just too easy for a lie to put cody in prison for you know over a decade um and you know when you it's like what would you say to get out of jail people have said all sorts of things um can an incentivized witness's testimony be reliable i'm sure in some cases it is but they're you're taking a big risk Mm -hmm. You're, if you're offering, if you're, you know, dangling a drop charges or a sentence reduction, in some cases they're paid money to 
provide information, you're taking a big risk that there's going to be lies involved. Mm. So, um, and then on the witness, or sorry, on the evidence side yeah. for a retrial, can you kind of run us through? Sure. So really, it's just bringing back clarity to the law um, in Montana about when you can get a hearing when there's new non-DNA evidence of your innocence. Um, and it also, you know, clarifies that new evidence, the court should consider um, old, new, new science that undermines old forensics. That should be considered new evidence. Um, so junk, we call it junk science. You know, it's all kinds of disciplines we now know are not reliable. And, um, you know, we, DNA has proven, you know, hair comparisons, bite marks, arson, um, all these cases that, you know, the person that we thought did it because of expert witness testimony that turned out to be, you know, not scientifically based as, as more research was done. They, uh, you know, we have to let those cases get back to court. Um, and then also, it just kind of sets the standards for if new evidence um, that is hasn't been disclosed to the defendant um, by the prosecutor, so has been illegally withheld. Um, we just kind of codified what the courts have already said here. So we're just trying to really be crystal clear with the courts, you know, what the, the standards are, because otherwise there's just been a lot of inefficiency in the court system. Yeah. It's Cody Marble's case went up and down from the district court to mm -hmm. the Supreme Court and back, and it costs everybody time and resources, mm -hmm. and it's just not fair to keep, you know, the only person that wins when an innocent person is in prison is the actual perpetrator. Yeah. I mean, in Cody's case, there was no perpetrator because the crime never happened, but mm -hmm. nobody wins when, you know, an innocent person is stuck in prison. Yeah, that's right. So, and for us, so much of our engagement in the CGR space is we've identified that there's this barrier for a lot of people to re-enter mm -hmm. society and be productive members when they get out. Yeah. Uh, and not to mention, and it's even worse when someone is innocent. I mean, yeah. can you imagine the resentment that you yeah. might feel towards the system that you live in? Right. If you're innocent and then you're, and then, you know, and you're serving time. Yeah. So making things as easy as possible for those people to get a retrial if new information comes up. Uh, it seems like it seems like a no-brainer. It should be. I mean, we want the, the other person that we're going to have testify tomorrow is um, Richard Burkhardt, and he was exonerated of murder in Great Falls, um, Montana. He also had an incentivized witness who got, you know, testified against him, and in exchange, got a, a plea bargain where he just got time served, and he was released mm. after. And that wasn't disclosed to, um, the prosecutor didn't disclose that to Richard's defense team, so they couldn't bring up these issues of credibility and reliability to the yeah. judge and to the jury. Mm. Um, so I think his case really shows transparency. We're not saying don't use incentivized witnesses. We're saying we need more transparency and we need more protections if we're gonna use them. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, on the back end, Richard, um, he was exonerated because there was a police report found in the prosecutor's file that was illegally withheld from him that a different person confessed to the crime. Um, and he was able to get back into court because he met the standard there that that would create a reasonable probability of it, that he wouldn't have been convicted if <laughs> yeah, it had of been introduced. Yeah. But yeah. under this new stricter standard that the Montana Supreme Court 
implemented, we don't know if you would be granted anything. Wow. Yeah. Just because it wouldn't be considered new evidence because it was submitted as right. evidence. And also it's not necessarily airtight evidence of innocence, you know, mm. because you can say, well, you know, this is a, a hearsay confession and mm-hmm. you can, you know, there's a million ways to kind of come up with an argument. That's what we pay exactly. lawyers to do exactly. is to come up with that argument. Exactly. Right. And yep. to not even grant somebody a hearing when you have pretty compelling new evidence, it's really rare that we find smoking gun Hmm. evidence that says there's no way this person could have committed the crime. I found this videotape all of a sudden of somebody else doing the crime. That's just really rare. We usually have pieces of of evidence that, you know, show the person didn't do the crime Hmm. that come together. Hmm. Um, But to, to set this standard that you need, you know, airtight evidence that there's no way the person could have done the crime, it's just not fair yeah that's right so i we are really excited to work with you guys we are really excited to work with the aclu on criminal justice reform it seems like there's so much space here yeah and like and for me you know as a guy who got involved in a lot of government issues from everything from foreign policy to immigration to you know just tax and spend meat and potato issues that afp is so well known for it's really cool for me to get to get to know new people like you and you know all the great folks that are working in this space but, it, I mean, it's fascinating to me that on the federal level, we had the First Step Act. Yeah. You know, now we got this, the work we're doing here in Montana. Yeah. We've got work on all states all across yeah. the country that are doing similar things. What is it about the criminal justice reform space, since you've been here a while, yeah. and, I'm, and I'm the new guy at the party, that, that, just, that, just, that is just opening up this area for dialogue that, that, don't, yeah. that doesn't seem to be anywhere else? You know? I mean, I think there's just been a recognition that it's broken. (laughs) Like it's not working. Um, I think there was, you know, at a time an overreaction and Mm. now we're seeing it's not the best outcomes for anybody, for the victims, for, you know, the families who are impacted. Um, Prison's not necessarily, you know, the the best solution and certainly for taxpayers who have had to foot the bill. So Mm -hmm. I think there's been kind of just a new mindset of like what can we do that actually rehabilitates people mm-hmm. and what can we do to ensure we have more integrity so that the real people that need a timeout get that timeout mm. and the people that don't need that you know get some other treatment um i think it's kind of a people are just opening their eyes to see that it's mm. it's too many people in prison and and to the point that it's counterproductive mm to public safety. That's really, yeah. So, I mean, and we're excited about, with this partnership. We really believe in a, in a quote from Frederick Douglass that says, unite with anyone to do good and no one to do evil. And that's our, that's our motto, especially that's this great. year, is that's finding awesome. those places where we agree with people yeah. and come together to get good things done. Yeah. So happy to have you in Montana. Thank, Thank you for you. jumping on. And we're so grateful for your help. I yeah. mean, it's, it's going to be, you know, so important to have you all on our side yeah. so thank you and, and and if you want to get involved you can go to americansforprosperity.org you can go to afpmontana.com check out our Facebook pages and stuff like that we've got uh, I volunteers up for folks to be able to engage in this issue and let their uh, their local house and senators uh, to know what they think about uh, these bills and, and what we're doing with criminal justice reform so any way they can follow the Innocence Project? You would like sure, to our website, it's www.innocenceproject.org and you can find the link to our Facebook and Twitter and all that other good stuff. Yeah. So uh, we're coming at you from today at 1889, who let us set up here because <laughs> we don't have an office in Helena and uh, we're so uh, thankful for these guys. Great coffee, great food, and really appreciate their uh, letting us have the space. So thank you very much for your time. Thank Thanks for coming Thank you on. so much. Yeah. 
Thank you for listening to the Big Sky Torch Time Podcast. You can find us online at americansforprosperity.org. Check us out on Facebook at Americans for Prosperity Montana, AFP Montana on Twitter. 